Hello and welcome to the Anchor Sunday Sermons podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Sunday sermons here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. Things based on what you saw on Prophecy Update. Um, the food shortage thing is a real deal thing that you have to think about, okay? It's not a conspiracy theory. There are going to be food shortages, and they're having supply chain problems already, as you know, but the lack of fertilizer, the lack of planting by farmers, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, all of that's going to have an impact. And so sometimes it takes several months before it impacts us. So the first thing I would say as, 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 as somebody that's seen the handwriting on the wall, so to speak, is you need to get some type of supply of food. Um, you don't have to go crazy and you know have two, five years worth of food or anything like that. But I would have some food on hand. I'd have some cans. You go to you know you go to Costco or, or grocery store, just get an extra couple or whatever when you're there. Um, you can even get that freeze dried stuff that uh, you can store in your you know in for 20 years. I think that stuff. Um, again, you don't have to go crazy, but expect at some point the shelves are going to be empty at some point to getting like basic commodities and uh, you won't be able to see those those things for a while. And um, you just need a backup just for a while, just like you would for a hurricane or earthquake or tornado living in different parts of the world. You need some type of supply. And so this is real deal stuff. They're saying it. Even Biden says it. Not that I believe anything that Biden says, but when our enemies are saying things like that, then you know there's problems coming the way on, on the way. And just like you saw the International Monetary Fund say uh, also that they're, they continue to do this in Russia and the Ukraine, it's going to continue to devalue the dollar. And that's the problem we're starting to see is this devaluing of the dollar to go to a digital currency. Now, economically, what, 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 what can I do? Okay. Well, first off, if they go to a digital currency, you're, if you can try to get out of debt as much as possible, try to reduce your debt as much as possible. If you can, if you can't, you can't, but try to reduce it. The second thing is tangible assets. You've you've got to diversify your portfolio a little bit to have some tangible assets, uh, whether it's owning stuff, whether, you know, land, home, uh, or even precious metals, gold, silver, whatever it might be. Now, why? Because eventually you're going to have to trade in your cash, okay? And if they're devaluing your dollar, your cash is going to be down here, okay, in value. So when you trade for that digital currency, you're not going to get as much digital currency as you thought you're going to get. Also, in the trade-off in the digital currency, they're expecting not to be one-to-one. It'll be one-to-one-and-a-half in the digital currency. So you'll pay an extra 50 cents for $1 of digital currency. It won't be $1 to one digital currency. It'll be a dollar fifty of your dollars to one dollar of the digital currency. So you're going to lose fifty cents if that. And again, they propose that we don't know. See, you know all the details, but you're going to lose money by getting digital currency. That's number one. And then number two, if your dollars down here, you're going to get less digital currency. 
So what they have said, uh, and I'm not a financial advisor, this is my spiritual opinion, is if you're going to have to trade and the dollars down here, you might as well buy tangible assets that when eventually you do have to trade in for digital currency, that your tangible assets will retain their value and you'll get more of the digital currency by that, by trading in gold or silver or, or selling a home or something like that. So think about debt. Think about diversifying your portfolio. Now, I get this from Solomon. Um, he said this in Ecclesiastes. He says, look, what you should do in approaching uh, your, your wealth is put it on seven ships. That if you let seven ships go out and one of them sinks, you still have the six. And that's called diversification. It's not, it, that's, a, that's an economic wisdom that Solomon gave. And so diversification means do not have everything in that 401k. If that 401k that you're investing in has stocks and bonds and that's it and no tangible assets, nothing, you could possibly lose a lot of that money because if they crash the dollar, they crash the stock market or whatever, you will lose that money. Now, I'm not saying pull everything out. I'm not advising that. I'm just saying, as Solomon said, don't have all your eggs in one basket. Diversify that to be the simplest, easiest, and most biblical way of doing your economics. So that's that's what you need to know going forward. Please understand this. This is real deal stuff. I'm not, it's not conspiracy. They're telling you what they're going to do. So it's our responsibility on a personal level to get prepared for that. Anyway, that brings us to Daniel chapter 6, and uh, we're going to start in chapter 6 today. We'll, we'll do half of it, and we'll finish the other half. But this is the famous passage of Daniel in the lion's den. You've all heard it, but I want to I go down into depth and bring out the principles and applications from this thing. Because the situation that Daniel's in is the same situation you and I are in. We have lions trying to eat us right now, trying to conspire against us to get rid of our influence, to get rid of us in this society. And they're going to try to get rid of Daniel, and they're not going to be successful, obviously. But the same thing is true for us. The major problem in America right now is you and I, because we don't succumb to all of this. We're not part of the woke narrative. We're not going along with this, and they know they've got to target us. And that's what they're doing. And in fact, they're doing a very good job with the other churches. And so what's happening now, as you can see, is a test of loyalty to the Lord. It happened in Daniel's life and it's happening to us. How loyal you and I are to God. And that's what, what's going to be tested. And already you're seeing compromise on every end. You're seeing compromise in the church. You're seeing compromise on morality. And it's all this stuff of compromise because people are not loyal to the Lord. They're loyal to protecting their self, protecting their assets, protecting their wealth, and protecting their persons and their jobs and whatnot. So this is where the test is for you and I. So everything I'm going to bring out with Daniel is what you and I need to do. So a uh, couple things then preliminary uh, before we set in is we are here on Daniel's statue. We have moved from Babylon and now we're in Persia. And it's the same. It's the same location. But now Medo-Persia has taken over the realm. 
And so Daniel predicted that the head of gold, which is Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, now we're in the silver arms and chest of Medo-Persia, the empire. The great thing that comes out of Medo-Persia is Cyrus the Great. He is predicted by Isaiah 150 years before. And I want to make an application with it, but I want you to see Isaiah, Isaiah's prediction. I am the Lord, or Yahweh, who says of Cyrus. Now notice he's named in scripture 150 years before he even exists. He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. This is 150 years and by name that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you. Though you have not known me, I have raised him up in, in righteousness. I will direct all of his ways. He shall build my city and let my exiles go free, not for price nor reward. He will do it because he is he is sympathetic to the Jews and he's sympathetic to Daniel. And that's why he will let them go. So the issuing of the decree to let them go back into the land after they've been punished by God is because of Cyrus. Now, Cyrus is somebody you need to know and be aware of because he's a, he's a Gentile that doesn't even know Yahweh, but yet he's friendly to the Jews. And this you'll see in history that happens. Harry Truman is another picture of this. Now, Harry Truman was a believer, but did you know that, that once Harry Truman got in the presidency, he had all this pressure to not, to, to not recognize Israel as a nation. And in 1948, Israel went ahead and, and said they were a nation. And a lot of pressure on Trey, Trey, uh, Harry Truman was put on him not to recognize them because it would start all kinds of wars in the Middle East. And it was the voice of his Sunday school teacher. That Sunday school teacher taught Harry Truman when he was a little boy about Cyrus, believe it or not. And how Cyrus allowed the Jews to go back in the land. So you know what happened? All his cabinet and military were saying, don't do this. But that voice of that Sunday school teacher that taught him about Cyrus echoed in his head and Harry Truman declared Israel to be a nation. He recognized them. He was the first to lead out among all the nations. That, that right there, when Harry Truman did that, he said, I am Cyrus. He was not saying literally, I am Cyrus. He says, I'm doing the same thing Cyrus did. And why? Because a Sunday school teacher taught Harry Truman about Cyrus. So Cyrus is an important figure. Now, here's where the application comes from. What you'll see in biblical history is you'll have bad leadership, bad leadership, bad leadership, and then all of a sudden a good leader. He'll pop up, and then you'll have bad leadership, bad leadership, and then eventually another good leader pops up. Why is that happening? Well, first of all, God typically gives bad leadership to those who deserve it, okay? When you have this pop-up of a good leader like Cyrus, it's meant for him to do something. And he doesn't even realize it, how influential this is to allow Israel to go back in the land, rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem. It's huge. And so that leader sometimes doesn't even know that they're being used of God. 
And so that leader pops up. It's a time of grace. It's a time to Israel to get their act together, to go back and reestablish things and, and be right and correct on this theologically. Now, what we'll see is he'll allow them to do that. They get back in the land. And before you know it, they're back to their old ways in many, except for idolatry. So sometimes that you'll see Israel spurn the grace of God when they have that good leader and they just resort back to the bad leadership. Okay, what's the point? I see the same principle today, not just in Israel, but in America. You will go through these spurts in, in U.S. history where you have a good leader like Ronald Reagan will pop up. And then you'll go and it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And then a good one will pop up again. And then it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. What's the point? The point is just like the same with Israel. He has given a time of grace to that nation to get its act straightened out. And if it doesn't take that grace to straighten things out, it's thrown right back into bad leadership. I truly believe that we have bad leadership right now, the worst I've ever seen, because God has given our country what they want. Not you and I, but what our country wants. When we went through the Trump era of, of four years, now you may not like Trump's personality or anything like that, but Trump gave Americans more freedom than they ever have. He, is, he turned our economy around. He gave freedom to, of religion to Christians, and he supported Israel, okay? Now, I, I don't agree with his policies of Operation Warp Speed to get that vaccine going. I don't agree with Trump's support of the LGBT mafia and what he did there. But at the, en at the end, you take a step back and you're thinking, that was a pretty good time. And it allowed the churches to get its act straight. Now, I remember saying this that this is a reprieve. We dodged a bullet by not getting Hillary Clinton in there. We really dodged a bullet. That was, she would have went full throttle, popped the clutch, and went New World Order. She would have. That's why she's, she's from that ilk. Okay, so we got a reprieve. But ask yourself, did the American churches take advantage of that? I say no. Now, the remnant churches always continued on and did what they needed to do like us. But the, for the majority of churches, they spurned the grace that was given to them. And so bad leadership was given. And then look what they did. Look where the majority of churches are going into straight out apostasy. They had a chance to straighten it all out and they didn't. Then fine, bad leadership, persecution of the church is now coming. And I think it's the same thing that you see with Cyrus and Israel is the same thing you're seeing currently going on in America. We are getting what more Americans want. You and I don't want it. We get that, but neither did Daniel. Daniel didn't want it, but it came to him. So again, this is the, the, the connection I want you to see. Another tidbit I want to show you before we get into the text. This is very interesting. I think you'll like this. Daniel never left the area. He was, it was that, that was considered Babylon and Medo-Persia took over. Daniel died during the, the Medo-Persian reign. Uh, he was, at this time in, in chapter six, Daniel's about 85 or somewhere between 85 and 90. Okay. He's pushing 90. Anyway, 
he dies there. He doesn't go back into the land. He was taken out, but he never goes back. And so they honored Daniel. And you can see this in history, in the archaeology, and the history. Um, and so Daniel was buried there. He is still buried there today. And the best archaeology and the history says that this site where Daniel is buried is the site where Daniel died and was buried. So uh, it's in Shush or Susa. You can see in this area, that's the ancient um, Fertile Crescent, but this is uh, where Iraq is, obviously. And it's totally controlled by Islam. But this is the site where Daniel's buried. And uh, you can see in this courtyard throngs of people all over the place. And then you can see on the, the all those other people coming through that, uh, that uh, you know, bridge or whatever. You, I don't know what that thing is. It looks like a bridge to me. And they're thronging through. And you can see even in the front of the courtyard, people just clamoring to get in. Um, the courtyard looks like this. It is an Islamic courtyard because um, in, even in Islam, they honor Daniel. Um, so this is the courtyard empty, but you can see all those people back here just packed in it, you know, trying to get to Daniel's tomb. The, the cone-shaped area is where Daniel is buried. That's the ancient part, okay? And if I go in there, this is what it looks like inside the cone. Obviously, where Daniel is buried, they have this ornate and elaborate, you know, mausoleum, I guess you want to call it. It's, it's gold and silver all over the place, and Islam is the caretaker of that right now. But that is what we believe is Daniel's resting place. He died there. The best history and archaeology points that that's where it is. And so um, there, there lies Daniel as a reminder that he was a real person, and all this happened to him. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, let's start in the text, verse 1. It pleased Darius. Now, Darius is, is a title name. It's like using the word Caesar or Pharaoh. So don't get confused with this guy with Cyrus. Cyrus is the king. Darius's real name is Gubaru. He's a general in Cyrus's kingdom, and he is the one who took Babylon and killed Belshazzar. So it's Guberu who you're dealing with. And he's been kind of a, a vice regent in the area, a satrap, so to speak. Anyway, it pleased Darius Guberu to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. Now, again, this is showing you the declension from Babylon to Medo-Persia. Remember, it's gold at the top. The head is gold. And then you move to silver. Okay. It's the declension in the metals. Now, what's happening here? Well, because they don't operate like Nebuchadnezzar did, they actually operate by governors and satraps, and that causes a lot of bureaucracy in its government. It also has what we call the law of the Medes and Persians, which means once they put a law down, they can't revoke it. They can't remove it off the books. And that starts being cumbersome politically. And this is why the declension starts happening. They're not as efficient as Nebuchadnezzar was being the sole leader. So anyway, it devolves. Anyway, this is the area they controlled. Massive, massive area. Uh, reaching all the way into India and the Kastans and, 
and you can see all the way into Western uh, Europe, uh, Greece and Egypt, and they controlled a massive amount. So the way they're going to govern this is three governors and 120 satraps to govern this whole area. Now, here's the thing. Daniel is one of the three governors, and Cyrus wants to put him at the head of the whole kingdom. It's huge. Anyway, and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one. So Daniel is one of these three governors that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. So Daniel's at the top end of this, right? He's been exalted by God to be in this position. This, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because why? An excellent spirit. This excellent spirit has to do with his attitude. It has to do with his character, his reputation, even among the pagans. He's excellent. He is, he's not divided is the idea that what you see on the outside is the same that's on the inside. What you see in the public life is the same in the private life. And the king gave thought, he's thinking about this, to setting him over the whole realm. Oh, you think that's going to be a problem? Yeah, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem for Daniel. Because the jealousy and the envy that these other satraps and governors will have towards them will cause them to cause to form a plot against him to get rid of him. And that's the idea. But let's talk about integrity. What is this? What are we talking about? Well, what you see is what you get with Daniel, right? You saw him on the outside. He's got that way on the inside. It's also doing what you say you're going to do. That's integrity. He follows through on everything. Um, it's, it's kind of like how we behave if we, uh, we will never be found out. If, you, if you're doing things and you say, I can never be found out, that's a problem. Daniel's not like that. There's things that you'll see in the text that Daniel doesn't try to hide. Like I mentioned, a person with integrity is undivided. That means that their outward obedience and their inward obedience is matching, is the same. What they say and do match, and they're above reproach. Someone from the outside world can't say anything bad against them. So what they typically do is have to make stuff up and their words and behavior match. That's integrity. It's a piece of what it looks like with Daniel. That's what God's wanting us to have. Okay, here, but let me show you the principle. God's exaltation of a person happens after they have paid the price. The person's asked to sacrifice. The person's asked to be faithful and dedicated and being humble before they're exalted. So the picture right there is Abraham getting ready to sacrifice Isaac. You know the story about that. It is only after this test that Abraham is called the friend of God after his test. And this test came at the end of his life. This test for Daniel is coming at the end of his life. And I want to point something out about this. God wants to use you to influence more people, to evangelize more. He wants to expand your personal ministry, but he can only do it if you allow him to train you in obscurity. So here's the thing with Daniel. We hear from Daniel when he was a teenager, then we hear when he's middle-aged, about 45, and then we hear now when he's 85 to 90. What was going on in between those periods of time? What was going on in his youth? What was going on between his teens and 45? You don't hear anything, do you? 
Do you know what was really happening? The same thing that was happening to Moses when he was 40 years in the desert. The same thing that the apostle Paul was at in Mount, uh, sorry, uh, Mount, by Mount Sinai in Elijah's cave in that area of Arabia when he was being trained by the Lord for two years before he started his ministry. What is that? It's a time of obscurity. It is a time when no one knows you. It is a time where somebody, or sorry, the Lord is wanting you to do the small things. Don't forsake the small things. What do you mean? Because in the small things and in obscurity, you're being humbled. You're going to ask yourself, why am I doing this? It's a daily routine, and I don't see any benefit in doing this. I don't see the benefit of how this is helping me when I clean toilets. What is that going to do for me? I'm sick of cleaning toilets. Or how about this? Are you sick of doing your kids' laundry? They go through laundry like there's no tomorrow. And you're thinking, I don't understand this. And you just keep going on and you're going on and through daily life. But what's happening is you're being trained and you don't even realize it. You're being trained on dedication and faithfulness even though you don't feel like it. You're cleaning those toilets even though you don't feel like it because you're taking the role of a servant. So before God exalts you, he must break you. And then, like Daniel, he exalts Daniel. And when he exalts him, after he has been broken and humbled and understands being a slave, then he can exalt you and you won't be have a big head and you won't get prideful. See, the people in our culture that get exalted and they haven't been trained by humility and obscurity, when they get in those positions, they can't handle them. It goes straight to their head. And you can see every crazy politician that thinks they're bigger than life Every Hollywood actor and actress, every musician, what does it do to them? The money, the power, the fame goes right to the head and they can't handle it, right? They destroy them, their lives. So God will put you in times of obscurity and you won't understand what's happening, but it's your 40 years in the desert. It's your obscurity where Daniel's not being heard of. And then all of a sudden he pops up again and he's exalted. So in your life, don't neglect the little things that teach you humility. Keep serving even though no one sees it. The test will be is can you serve the Lord in obscurity that no one's patting you on the back, no one's plotting you, no one says good job, and you keep doing it because eventually he then can exalt that person because they're the kind of person he can use. The principle, when we live with integrity, it will become a hindrance to other people's desires. So understand this. You live for Christ. People have ambitions. People have corruption going on. And other people's desires don't like that. And so they're going to look to remove you as an obstacle. And that's what they're going to do to Daniel. They're going to look to remove Daniel because he's an obstacle. And right now, on a global level, this is what they're doing to America. America is the prize. America is what stands in the way of the global government and the new world order. Henry Kissinger, who's an evil man, said this a long time ago. The new world order cannot happen without U.S. participation, as we are the most significant single component. Yes, there will be a new world order, and it will force the United States to change its perceptions. Well, it's going to be more than forcing our changing our perceptions. They're going to issue a new government, an issue of a new currency to get to this thing. But what was the, what, what, what's the point? 
we stood in the way of the globalists. And so they always had targeted us. And now they're targeting us and it's happening. And we, we are being taken down from within. Now we'll still exist as a country, but not the America that you and I grew up in. That's what's changing. Okay. So this has become a problem. But what is at the core though of America? It's not just America. The Chinese studied this for 20, 30 years. You know what the Chinese concluded? The strength of America is not its government. It's not its economy. It's not its, uh, its uh, way it does politics. The strength of America is its Christian religion. The Chinese figured that one out. And so it's not just America they have to take out. It's Christianity. It's anyone that follows the Bible. This is why the Jews are lumped in that as well. So it's Christians and Jews. We're the problem. We are the ones that need to be re-educated. We are the ones that need to have a plot against us to stop us from saying what we do because it's hate speech or whatever they deem it as. This is the problem. You must understand you're the target. They don't like what you believe. Same as Daniel. Huh. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find no charge or fault because he what? He was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. They can't find him. He's above reproach, man. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. That's the way we're going to get him. So this evil plot is to trap Daniel in a compromised position. And they already know the character of Daniel, that he's going to be totally loyal to God. So they say, look, let's, let's create a law that he will break because he obeys his God's law. That sounds eerily familiar. Let's create a law that prevents Christians from obeying their God. Oh, sounds like Pharaoh Newsom. We're going to shut down the churches. Let's see if they disobey their own God's law. Do not forsake the gathering of themselves. Let's shut down the churches. And then if they obey their God, they're in violation with our law. Same thing. Same thing. You know. Or maybe you do. How many churches kind of caved in on this? They chose to compromise instead of obeying God on Hebrews 10.25. And they, they couched it in Romans 13. And they misunderstood Romans 13. I was shocked about how many have done that and took federal money. But here's what you have to understand. The pushback you're getting primarily is coming from Laodicean believers, not the outside world. The outside world hates us, but we can deal with that. What we're getting surprised by is Laodicea because we refused to shut down. We obeyed the law of God rather than the law of Pharaoh. We're now called the murdering church by pastors here. The murdering church. Yeah, you got me right. The murdering church. Why would they call us the murdering church? Oh, because we didn't shut down, so we must be trying to kill people because we won't so shut down our church, we won't social distance, we won't wear masks. 
Oh, here's what I got to say. It is actually a compliment coming from a Laodicean pastor or believer to call us that. Because what it evidences is they are nothing but cowards who bow and eat a man rather than God. It shows their loyalty. It shows what they're made of. And they can, they can continue to operate as a pseudo-Christian or a compromised Christian or a Laodicean Christian. But at the end, they will answer to God for compromise. Amen. That's what's going to happen. Amen. Call us a murdering church. I don't care. Call me whatever you want. I'm going to obey God than Pharaoh Newsom. You fool, I want to say. You fool, you coward. You took money from the federal government and kept your, your church set down while you sat by the pool with an iced tea thinking how great this was to get paid for not working. You lazy and wicked servant. That's these pastors that call us the murdering church. That's who they are. Anyway, I do digress. <laughs> Truth does hurt. Get you irritated a little bit. Um, anyway, so they're going to make up something against them that's going to cause them to violate their own law. Okay, so what is the principle we have to go away with on this? The principle is this. Look, when God puts you in a position where you're going to influence more people, that we call that exaltation, Okay. Um, the, the satanic world's not going to like that, right? And so you're going to be attacked. You, put, you painted a target on your back now, whether you like it or not. And so the first thing you have to realize in the application of this is you, you've got to accept it. You're going to be called names. They're going to do all kinds of crazy things to you. Now, let me ask you this. If, if they roll out that you cannot drive on Sundays, if they roll that out and forbid you to, to go to church, because that's what that, they're going to establish a law to see if you break your own God's law. Okay, that's what they're doing. I can guarantee you these cotton candy Laodiceans, they'll all do go back to Zoom or, or, or video streaming and they won't even have services or whatever. You watch, they won't. They'll go back on vacation. And so here's my thing, the challenge that's coming to you. The target is already painted on your back. And the target is if you pull up to church, are you okay with a policeman finding everybody that's parked in the parking lot, right? That's where it's going to go. Even at our new building, they're going to go into our parking lot. And if this law passes, everybody's getting a ticket. I don't know what the fine will be. 300, 200, 400. I don't know what the fine will be, but you drove your car on Sunday. Are you going to let that stop you, Right? Because you will be attacked. The principle, when you live clean, then the only thing they can do is use your commitment to God against you. You being sold out for Christ, they will try to use that against you to violate their man-made laws, right? That's, that's it. They, they, they said to put an experimental jab in you. As you can see on the prophecy update, people are having all kinds of problems. There, what was that, a tennis thing that was going on? All these people are having problems with their heart and their chest. 
put something in your body that's foreign that we don't know and, uh, and, and do what we tell you to do, which is putting something foreign in your body that corrupts your body is a violation of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, but yet people did it. So what they saw was that people were compliant. And the principle is Christians would not practice obedient disobedience. I know it sounds like a tongue twister, okay? But do you catch where I'm going with it? We are to practice obedient disobedience. Obedience to God, disobedience to man when they try to violate that for us. That's a principle we have to keep in mind. I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to disobey them. And it's not mean that it doesn't mean you're a rebel. It doesn't mean you're not following Romans 13. They're telling you to violate things that God says no. Think about this. The abortion bills that are on the table right now are saying to a person that even if you have a baby, you can let the baby just lie there and die and starve to death. And then the new bill that follows that up is the policeman bill, which says a policeman cannot charge you if you allow your baby to die. Up to a year. You see what the problem is? They're obeying man killing to kill babies in violation of God's law. And they're going to start putting that on everybody if they pass it. That's why we've asked you to call these people and at least try to do something to stop this. It is a major problem. The principle is living with integrity means our character is whole and not divided. Our obedience is internal and external. And the, the key on this is that external obedience helps the internal and the internal helps the external. It's a vice versa thing. So when you're a new believer, the first thing you learn is how to be, how to be obedient externally. Like, okay, I go to church or I go to a Bible study. I, uh, I, I learn externally what the things I need to do. And then what happens is the external helps the internal. So there's things in you that you can't stop, but the outward obedience will help that internally happen. And so it, it, the external helps the internal. But then as you continue to grow and grow, the internal that's conformed to the image of Christ actually helps the external as well. Because now you're learning, your, your attitude's changing, your pride is being diminished and all these other things. And so it works to help the external as well. So when, like, when you believe correctly, you will behave correctly. But it's a two-way street. When we talk about not being divided, that's what we're talking about is our external obedience is the same as our internal obedience. That's what's creating integrity in Daniel. That he's not hiding something internally. He's the same, externally or internally. And, and so this is where we have to go if we want to be like Daniel and to stand this test of the lions. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king. It's like a mob, an angry mob, right? And said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. This is where the lobbyists come in, right? All the governors of the kingdom and the administrators. Let's just stop there. I underline the word all. How many governors are there? There's only three. And there's 120 state traps underneath them. They just lied. Because they said all the governors are with us on this one. Do you see, even in today's modern 
political climate and media climate. Have you heard these words? Experts agree. Science agrees. I am science. Mothers approve. I think that was for like toothpaste or something like that. But like with the, the stupid climate hoax, it's like settled science. Science says this is happening. Science says. They don't tell you that there's people that disagree. It is a tactic that the ungodly always use. They say everybody feels this way. Everybody's doing it. Just go along because everyone's doing it. And so they come before Cyrus and said, hey, man, everyone's wanting this, man. And they lie because this, they include Daniel in it. See, Cyrus is predisposed to Daniel. He likes Daniel. That's why he wants to put him as the highest. So he's thinking, oh, okay, so Daniel is part of this. If Daniel approves, it must be okay. You see the gullibility there? That's the problem. That's the problem with everybody who says, experts agree. Well, I guess everyone's telling it's right. That's what you're seeing. Herd mentality. That's what Cyrus is, is, is demonstrating. Please go against the herd. Swim upstream, not with the stream. Go against the current thought. Especially, you know, especially all the junk they're pushing on you. But that's what's happening here. So he's going to fall for it. And the satraps and counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute. That's a problem because you can't erase it. And make a firm decree, uh, or in other words, a mandate. By the way, we're not done. They're finding new viruses that they want to continue the mandates and masks about. That whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king shall be cast into the den of lions. They want Daniel to go into that lions, and this is the way to get him. Because they know Daniel's not going to worship Cyrus. They know that by his character. They know it. So now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so it can be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter, and they are absolutely right. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Just like Joe Biden signed the executive order to create a digital currency. Everyone's doing it. That's exactly what was told to him, by the way. The Europeans are doing it. Why are we taking our cues from the Europeans? No offense if you're listening online from Europe, but the, 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 the European governments always get it wrong. Always. It's like Germany. Germany can never make the right decision politically. I don't know why, they, but their politicians are crazy. And so... He signs a written decree. And so they told Biden, hey, everyone's going digital. Klaus Schwab wants you to go digital. Okay, uh, what am I signing? I'll sign it. And he signed it. And now we're going digital. Okay, that's the same mentality. And so this is how they're going to trap him. This is the ploy. This is the plot to get rid of him. What's the principle? How you respond to unfair treatment reveals your character and my character you are going to get a boatload of unfair treatment given to you by these nut jobs. And the key is how you're going to respond. Because I can tell you right now, people are getting angry, very angry. Now, let me make a, 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 a point. I was talking to, uh, basically, I had a Zoom conference with, in England. I didn't go there, but I did a Zoom thing on Thursday for about three hours, I think it was. And I was talking to about over 100 people in Great Britain. And we were 
it, we did question and answers and stuff at the end of it and everything. And, uh, you know, they're asking me about America and stuff like what's going on here. And they're curious. And I said, look, man, I go, here's a, here's quite frankly what the deal is. We're in a cold civil war right now. It is a pre-civil war mentality. And I told them, I said, look, I don't know what it's going to take to push this other side of America over the edge to where they retaliate. I don't know what that will be. It might be the digital currency. It might be the, the, the bank account thing. It might be, you know, their 401ks drying up. I don't know. I said, but we're watching a cold civil war happen on purpose. On purpose, it's happening. They want this. And, they, you know, the idea was, okay, what do they want this for? Why do they want a civil war? I go, because if we physically respond back to them and retaliate, they're going to do what they did in January 6th to those people. They'll do it to everybody. And they, they'll call in martial law like Trudeau did in Canada. And that's exactly what they want. They want us to respond physically. Now, I'm speaking as a Christian, but you know there's the bubble factor out there, right? The bubble factor. You know what the bubble factor is? The bubble factor is someone's not a Christian, but they're, they're, they're fairly conservative. But he's going to take matters in his own hands at some point. Okay? That's what they actually want. They want the Bubba factor to happen. Now, the key is for you and I is we have to respond like Messiah did. I am not saying not to defend yourself. You need to defend yourself. You need to have guns. You need to have ammo. You need to be able to protect your family. But if you're being coaxed into physical violence like they want it, you're going to make a big mistake. What credit is it, is it if when you are beaten for your faults? Now, the idea of this, what is the big deal if you're an idiot and you make bad decisions and you get yourself in trouble with people on your own, not for Jesus, but on your own because you're an idiot? He goes, it's no, it's no, there's no credit for you in that. You're just being an idiot. But when you are beaten, for, uh, but when you do good and suffer, do good for Christ, and then you suffer for be doing good for Christ, if you take it, notice the condition, if you take it patiently, it's the idea of enduring and persevering under being treated wrong, okay? This is commendable for God. For to this you were called. Oh, we were called to do this, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, or, or because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, you should follow, should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So here's a person, the Messiah, who did nothing wrong, and they still accused him, and he didn't fire back. Uh, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten by committing himself to him who judges right, righteously. So they they beat him. They, they nailed him to a cross. And he even told the disciples before all this went down, don't you know I can stop all this and call 12 legions of angels and we can put all this to bed? But he doesn't. He allowed himself to go on the cross. But that is an example of what they're trying to do to Daniel and to, to do to us. They're wanting to provoke us into taking action. So what if Jesus actually did call 12 angels and killed them all? Then what? Then there's no cross. Then there's no atonement because he killed them all. 
You see what I'm saying? So what you have to do is what he did. Christ committed himself to him who judges righteously. So I'm gonna commit all this junk that the Biden administration's doing to me to God. Now, I know that's hard, but what else are you going to do? You see what I'm saying? You can get angry, get frustrated, and pull your hair out like I do all the time. But at the end, what am I going to do, Brandon? I, 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 I can't stop it. I leave the justice over to God. I release it so that they can't provoke me anymore. I'm getting angry. I know, sir, sir, I'm sure you are. But they want that. Satan wants you to get so angry that you become out of control. And then he's got you. You've actually fell for the bait. So obeying the Lord always has a price in this satanic world. So understand that you will pay a price for this by obeying the Lord. Daniel is going to be put in the lion's den. Here's my question. Will you serve God if there's a price to pay? What we just saw with the church, the majority of the church, there was a price to pay and they weren't willing to pay the price. They just weren't. They caved into this. The price is too much. The price is too much for claiming the truth about homosexuality and lesbianism. It's just too much for them. So now what they're saying is you're born that way. No, you're wrong. You're not born that way. That's a choice. But you got pastors in town saying it. Now the new thing is you're born that way. Well, if you're born that way, how can you have hold them responsible? You see where this goes? Yes, we're born sinners, but every decision that we make to sin is our own decision. And you'll never get away from, with that. But, oh, I don't want to pay the price for saying that. I don't want to be called a homophobe, and I don't want to run out a third of my congregation because I'm allowing it because I never say anything about it. So I'll just say people are born that way. That's happening in Kern County. It's not over across uh, in England. It's happening right here. And there's people sit there and say, I guess he's right. He's the pastor. They should get up and walk out. The minute a pastor says something like that, he is caving in right in front of you. There's a price to pay for obedience, isn't there? And people don't want to pay that price. Look what Daniel does in response. Does he get mad? Does he get angry? Does he want, I'll, I'm going to retaliate right now. I just, I, I'm going to go to uh, Cyrus and tell him, no, watch what he does. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. He just went home. What, did he, what is he going to do at home? That's the key. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. How do you give a thanks when you're getting ready to get thrown in the lion's den? Because something's gonna happen through Daniel and he knows it. As was his custom since early days. So what he went back to is what he's always done, okay? He went back to his habits. What is his habits? Three times a day, he prays before God. He seeks God. And notice what it says, his custom since early days. The early days is what he was trained on. And in the early days, Daniel was trained on the word of God. And there's no doubt about that. So one of the understandings about this and how to deal with our culture is this. When we're having these problems, we go back to the word of God. We go back to the early days. What are the early days? The ancient record that God put here. This is the ancient record. 
if you understand the ancient record, it tells you what to do now and it tells you what's going to come in the future. This is your guide. What the culture is doing right now is saying, I'm not going to follow the past and include this in the past. This is the old religion. We're going to start fresh, brand new, and create the world we want to create. That is a death nail to a culture. Not to look back at its history, not to look back at the Judeo-Christian foundations. You will destroy yourself, and that's what our country is doing. Daniel goes back. He goes back. He always goes back to the old ways, the ancient ways, and those ways are God's ways, right? So that's what he does. Notice that he, he, he is on his knees in supplication. What does that mean? He is saying that this is bigger than him and he needs God's help. He's not trying to take this into his own persona and, and resources and say, I can do this on my own. No, 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 this is beyond him. So the idea of coming before the Lord on his knees is an act of humility. I need help. But here's another thing I wanted to point. Notice what's open as he customarily did, and this is what they're going to use against him, is he went to those windows and he opened those windows up and every Jew would do is they face Jerusalem and they pray towards Jerusalem for restoration of the temple, Jerusalem, and them to be back in the land, okay? This custom was found in the scriptures. But anyway, it started then. The Muslims, believe it or not, plagiarized this, and that's why the Muslims pray five times a day, not three, and face Mecca. They lifted it off of what Daniel does, and they, 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 they changed it. Okay, where am I going with this? This was the custom of that day. It's a custom today. By the way, if you fly to Israel, and there's Hasidic or Orthodox Jews on that, at a certain time, they will get up face Jerusalem and pray towards Jerusalem right on the plane. And if they're on El Al, the Jewish plane, they let them get up and they, they're, they're gonna, they're, they'll do their, their things like that right in the middle of the plane. And it'll be like two in the morning when you're flying over there. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But anyway, that, they still do it today. Daniel was part of what they did, right? This started in Babylon and that practice is still with the Jews today. Okay, what's the point of the windows, Brandon? Daniel could have easily, to avoid being seen, kept those windows closed and just prayed to God in his privacy. But he didn't do it. He could have avoided the whole situation if he just kept those blinds closed and sat back and he could do his three prayers a day, but no one would see it. What is Daniel signaling to us? He is signaling that I am not ashamed to be a follower of Yahweh. I'm not going to hide my faith. I have always made my faith known to everybody. And I'm going to open those windows and continue to show that I am a follower of Yahweh. If that gets me in trouble, so be it. But I'm not ashamed of him. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, and, uh, and my word, I will be ashamed of you before my father. Daniel is saying to all of us, there is no privatization of your faith. You have to be public with your, with your Christianity. You have to speak the truth in love. You have to tell the truth. You have to be public with it. 
in your behavior as well. And Daniel's not hiding from that. See, and the other thing you have to realize, if Daniel says, I'm going to keep the window shut, that's a compromise. He's doing that to avoid getting in trouble with the law. He didn't care. One little compromise, what we've talked about before, one little compromise sets all the rest of compromise in action. You think, well, I'll just do this and, uh, and then I won't get caught. I'll lie and produce a fake vaccine record. You're going to get caught on that because you've compromised. Keep your integrity. Lying about a vaccine card is going to get you in trouble. You've lost your integrity at that point, and you're opening the door to more compromise. He won't even budge by not opening that window. I'm sorry, by, by not uh, keeping it closed. He opens that thing up and basically dares them to do something. He's got guts. He's at 85, 85, and he's saying, bring it on. I'm 85. What are you going to do to me? Kill me? My Lord will resurrect me. Doesn't scare me. Interesting thing about his 95 day, uh, sorry, being 85 years, pushing 90. They've estimated, I don't know how, who does this, but they have estimated how many prayers he prayed if he did it three times a day. And they estimate 95,000 prayers in his entire lifetime by praying three times a day. Interesting, huh? It's a, it's a very, very good prayer warrior, obviously. But look at this. Any self-deserving desire to compromise will inevitably lead to obeying man instead of God. That's why he doesn't do it. That's why he opens the windows. If you just comply on just one little thing, you're obeying man. That's his point. And you say, well, this is going to give me a worldly advantage. I'll be able to keep my job. There's an advantage by doing this. Yeah, but I know. But God is in control of your job. God is in control of your life. God is in control of your money. Don't think you're going to keep that stuff. Don't compromise. Now, I want to show you this. You want to see the ugly side of compromise? Now, what I have done, this is so bad that I put puke bags in back of your seats. They're all back there. They should. They should have put them back there. If they're not, you've got a problem. Don't, don't puke on our floor. It takes a lot to clean it. Um, and, and, and what I want to show you is the puke factor is this is where you end up when you start compromising. Compromise starts, not in a big compromise, starts on very little. And then before you know it, they're doing this, and then they're doing this, and then they're doing this, and before you know it, they're full, full gone apostate. Okay. This is why you don't make the littlest compromise, because you'll end up here. Watch what they say. This past Thursday, March 31st, was the International Transgender Day of Visibility. In the PCUSA, we welcome all of our transgender and queer siblings into this family and relationship with the Creator God. So today, I wish to pray a prayer that was written for this incredible day. Will you pray with me? O oh God of pronouns, we give praise to the Great One, the One who was identifiable as God, I am what I am, you say, the great they, the incarnate he and she, the God of trans being. Impregnating Mary, fathering God, breastfeeding God of many breasts, 
You shadow, you shatter all stereotypes, making every single person male and female. Male and female, intersex, non-binary, in your image. Exactly in your image. Spectrum, rainbow God, who put your promise for nonviolence in the symbol for queer love before humanity knew, because you knew. Who had Joseph, who could not sleep with a woman in a beautiful lady's cloak, perhaps of rainbow colors, before we knew, you knew. God of pronouns, who said, you can call me he or she or they, whatever makes you feel closest to me. Invisible and visible God, on this day, where visibility and celebration, belated, belatedness, affirmation, and acceptance is the bare minimum. Remind us that you are the God of pronouns, so you affirm and you celebrate them. God of Saul, Paul, Simon, Isaac, Jacob, Isaac, Simon, Peter, Abram, and Sarai, and Abraham, and Sarah, God of Joseph, of the coat of many colors, of the Ethiopian eunuch, of the Virgin Mary, God of all found families in the Bible. Remind us that you affirm us in our full identi identity, name, pronoun, found family, all of it. For this, we give you thanks and praise to the great I am, the great they them. Thank you, God. And so in the now, now in the words that our mother, our father, and our sibling God taught us to pray and pray with us now. Our father. Okay, that's enough. Um, I told you it's the puke factor. I told you. It is it's ridiculous, right? It's so comical that someone would even think this is legit. But what's going on in her, her mind? And that old boy sitting back there, he's just reading that thing. He says, I don't think he knows where he's at. Um, he's out of it or whatever. But anyway... How do you get there? You get there by compromise. That's what somehow in this woman's life she did. And that, the old boy in the back, he's sitting there, you know, going along with this, I guess. But you get there by compromise. That's, that's what I want to show you. That's why you don't do this. Awful, isn't it? That's the new trend, though. It's the new trend. The custom of the early days, as I mentioned, the custom of the early days, it, again, goes back to the Bible. Where did Daniel get the concept of praying three times a day? Straight from the Bible. He didn't make it up. Psalm 55, 16 through 17. The inspired word says, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Daniel doesn't make stuff up. He follows the old ways. This is what the scripture says. And that's what gave him the idea to pray three times a day. Huh. Daniel simply did what was right with God and wrong with man, leaving the consequences up to God. And that's what you're going to have to do. I don't know all the ramifications of a digital currency. I don't know the ramification of a new world order. I don't know. But we're just going to have to deal with the consequences and let God handle that for us. It's too big for us. We need help. He will. Here's another principle I, I want to leave you with. This is idea. The greatest test of our lives will come at your end. Daniel's what, 85? 
you think you pass these tests early in in life, you think, okay, I'm done, I'm good, I'm in retirement, and God's, God's not going to test me anymore. Uh-uh. He will test you all the way to the very end. And the biggest test you will have is during the end. So what does Satan do to prepare you for this? He tries to wear you down so that you will fail the test. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't take a nap, and he will constantly bombard you every day of your life. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I'll make your life worse. Here it is. This is going on. This is going on. Why don't you give up? Why don't you stop? I will ease up if you stop. And you just keep forging ahead, and he's pounding and pounding and pounding you. And then you start saying, I'm getting spiritually fatigued. And I don't know if I can do this anymore. And when you're spiritually fatigued, that's when the test comes. When you don't have any strength spiritually to fight or face what you're going to face. That's his intent. And that you will fail. But where do we get the strength in this fight? To keep battling the onslaught of the demonic world. Where do you get this? Well, we fight spiritual fatigue with spiritual strength. And where you get your strength from is faith in the Lord, obviously, and for his resource of strength. Now, this is portrayed in Isaiah 40. This is a, this is a passage that's spoken to the remnant in Babylon, and it's spoken to the remnant in the future tribulation under Antichrist. And obviously, the, the same problem they have in Babylon it's going to be the same problem that the, the Jewish believers have in the tribulation, and it's the same problem we have. We need spiritual strength. So here's where this passage comes in. The everlasting God, the basically the eternal one, because he's eternal, he has an everlasting, eternal supply of strength. The Lord, the covenant God, this is Yahweh. He's the personal God, our God, the creator of the ends of the earth. The omnipotent one is the idea. Never faints nor is weary. Because he's the eternal one, he never gets tired. He never needs to sleep. His understanding is is, um, unsearchable. means he's omniscient. He knows all what you're going through. He sees all. He gives power to who? The weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. So the, the statement is, this is what he can do for you. He can give you power. But who are the weak and who are those who need strength? The physical ones? No, it's not talking physical. It is talking spiritual strength. He's going to give the caveat in the next passage about how you need to approach him for this. But he's stating out right now, I can give you all the strength you need to deal with whatever you have to deal with. Because it says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. It's those who are even strong physically like young people, they're eventually going to run out of energy physically and they they don't have any spiritual strength because they're relying on their own strength and their own strength will only carry them so far and they will eventually fall. But those, and here's the caveat, this is how you get that strength. Those who wait on the Lord, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to take it before the Lord and the idea of waiting in the Lord is I wait for his answer. I wait for his deliverance. I wait for whatever decision he ends up doing. Daniel's going to have to wait. In fact, he's going to wait so long 
that God doesn't deliver him before the lion's den, he delivers him through the lion's den. And that's the idea of waiting in faith on the Lord for whatever he's going to do. It takes a lot of faith in to do that. But if you do it, what will happen? You shall renew your, their strength if they do that. They shall mount up like wings, like eagles. The idea is if you get this strength, you will get so much strength, it will put you above your problems. You'll soar like the eagle does above the earth. And that's the idea. I'll give you so much strength, you're, you're, you're going to be way above your problems. You'll still have your problems, but you're going to be above them. You can handle them. You shall run and not be weary, and you shall walk and not faint. You'll continue to walk with me and not get weary. You won't be spiritually fatigued from Satan. All that I promise you, but you must do one thing. You must wait on me. You must trust me in all of this. I'm not going to give the answer before. You must wait for the answer. And if you do that, I'll promise you, you'll get strength. That's the caveat. It's not automatic. But you understand why Daniel got on his knees when he did pray? Because part of waiting on the Lord is you humble yourself, acknowledge your spiritual poverty. Lord, I don't have the strength to deal with this. I physically can't do this. I need you to help me with your strength. That's endless. And if you don't, I'm going to come apart. That's what Daniel's doing. He's humble. You don't go and face what you're we're having to face. Today. I got this one. Get crazy. We don't have any of this going on outside. We have never seen this world like this. You don't have this one. So you better go back to God and he'll give you the strength to deal with it. Look at this last guy. I want to show you and we'll end on this. This was the disciple of John the Apostle. Okay, the guy who wrote the book of Revelation. His, 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 who he discipled was Polycarp. And think about this. The situation that happened to Polycarp when he was 86, pushing 90. Okay, same time frame as Daniel. The biggest test for Polycarp came at the end of his life. And basically what happens, the Roman government said, look, renounce Christ and denounce him or we'll burn you at the stake. And this is what he said. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you, for you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come. And an everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come do what you will. That's at 86. And the same thing that Daniel's doing and the same thing you and I are doing is the same thing Polycarp did. Why are you waiting? If you're going to do what you're going to do to me, then do it. But I can guarantee you this. You may burn me, but the flames that you're going to will burn everlasting. So I know God will serve the justice in this at one point in time. I will trust him for the justice. So guess what? Bring it on. Just bring it on. We're ready for you. We have the strength of Yahweh. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Sunday Sermons. 
We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has recently started a second podcast called The Anchored Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Bible Study. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.